Good morning, everyone. If you want to take that just down just a tad for me, Raf. <clears throat> it's good to be here with you today. I'm really looking forward uh, to preaching this sermon. I just felt like the Lord, sometimes sermons just kind of fall into place. Um, sometimes they're like wrestling a bear, and sometimes they just fall into place. So hopefully that's an indication of how God wants to be with us today. So today I would like to just take a moment in this sermon to remind us of God's love. I just want to remind us again of the gospel. We never get tired of hearing the gospel, do we? About uh, over the last weekend, I was involved in a training and we were watching uh, a video from Diane Langberg. If you don't know who Diane Langberg is, she's a Christian psychologist out right out here in Jenkintown. Um, many of us have known her for a while. She has done a lot of service to the body of Christ here in the Philadelphia area and throughout the whole world. And in this video, she reminded me of something that was very important to me in the 90s when I was a minister here. And I feel like I kind of have lost sight of it a little bit, but it was just a nice reminder. She was talking about the sacramental nature of life. A sacrament. What's a sacrament? It's a visible sign of an invisible reality. And if we're, for Protestants, we have two main sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. But all of life is really sacramental. What do I mean by that? Well, we learn, especially children, they learn abstract truth by watching what's concrete and seeing what is tangible. And this is what Diane Langberg was talking about. Now, Jesus knew this. How many times did he tell parables and stories? He understood the importance of symbols in our lives. He referred to himself as bread, water, a grapevine. And we hear that and we understand, don't we? There's something about it that's so concrete we understand it. Bread, water, a grapevine. These are things that the Jewish people at the time of Jesus encountered every single day of their lives. And they learned all kinds of things. Children, like I said, learn abstract truths like love by looking at their parents. Mom and dad, how do they treat me? How do my siblings treat me? We, but we are the same as adults. We learn abstract truths through concrete and tangible things. There's a book called Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dane Ortland. I'm going to quote it quite a bit today. In all honesty, I feel like he says it pretty good, and I, I don't really feel like I can say it any better than he says it. He says this, when we sin, we are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because he will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out the way many of our parents did. And that's the point. Even the best parents are not perfect. They show many things about the love of God, but they show other things to their children as well. So today we are going to talk about the sacrament of Jesus' own life, the incarnation. The incarnation, Jesus coming in the flesh. We will be in the book of Galatians. And uh, for those of you who saw the weekly email, I encourage you to watch this nine-minute video from the Bible Project. Um, if you watched it this week, this will sound familiar to you. Let me just give a quick summary of the book of Galatians. The church started as a Jewish messianic movement, but quickly Gentiles were added to their numbers. There's a group of, there was a group of Jews during that time that uh, were a part of the beginning of the church, and they were insisting that you must obey the laws of the Torah 
in order to be truly Christian. And Paul, in so many of his writings, but especially in Galatians, says absolutely no, absolutely not to that. Uh, but these Jewish, uh, this group of Jewish uh, men would go into Galatia, into this Roman province in Asia Minor, and they were trying to convince the people of the church that they must be circumcised in order to become truly Christian. They must become Jewish before they become Christian. And Paul is beside himself in this book. He says, you are believing a different gospel other than the one that was preached to you initially. Galatians 3.3. 3. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one is justified. So according to the book of Galatians, in very simple terms, you can trust in what Jesus did for you or what you do for yourself, but you can't trust both. The heart of the gospel. When people trust in Jesus, what is true of him also becomes true of them. Galatians 2, 19 through 21, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. We become part of Jesus's family only because what he does for us. We are the family of God. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for we are all one. In Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Isn't that wonderful? We are God's promised children to Abraham. Long time ago, God made a promise to Abraham and he said, you will be the father of many nations. Isn't that amazing? I love the book of Galatians. So today, that's right where we're going to start. Now we're at Galatians 4, so we can stand together and let's read the scripture together. We will be reading verses 1 through 7, and then I will be preaching on verses 4 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's read together. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time come, God sent his, forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit into his, his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. Amen. 
My main idea today is to demonstrate his love. God sent his son in the flesh to to liberate his children from sin. So today we will be gazing upon the beauty of the incarnation, the amazing truth that Jesus comes as one who is gentle and lowly of heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, our Daddy in heaven, we jump right into your laps this morning and we want to hear once again the good news of the gospel that we have been saved by Jesus Christ through the cross and through your resurrection, and we've been empowered by that resurrection to go forth in works of service unto your will. Empower us, Lord. Give us ears that can hear and hearts that can obey. For we pray it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. To demonstrate his love, God sent his son in the flesh to, to liberate his children from sin. Point number one, God sent his son born of a woman, the incarnation. It says, when the fullness of time had come. There's this Greek word, play, Roma. It means fullness. It means completion, to be brought to full measure. The Christian Standard Bible says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son. Isn't that a wonderful summary of the gospel? God sent his son. So it's this idea that time is pregnant. And in pregnancy, if you've been pregnant or if you watch somebody who's pregnant, you know that pregnancy can be a struggle. There's sickness, there's pains, there's groans, there's all kinds of uncomfortable feelings, plenty of beautiful things about being pregnant, but it is also a challenge and a struggle. Time itself was in pain birthing pains, because the people of this earth were sinning over and over and over again. They simply could not obey. We are lost apart from Christ in our sin. I just got done reading the book of Judges, which says over and over and over again, again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And again, God would raise up a judge and deliver them again and again. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. They simply could not help themselves because time at that point was not pregnant. It was not ready to give birth. They were lost in their sins, but time has reached its fullness like a woman holding her belly, ready to give birth. And you know that kind of waddling stage that happens right at the end. You watch a woman holding her belly. You know time has come to fullness. Time has come to completion. And God sent his son. He sent his son to us, born of a woman. Jesus came in the flesh to show us how things were to be done. Jesus is love made tangible. If we were there watching Jesus as he walked on earth, what would we see? Well, he was a friend of sinners. He's like, I didn't come for those. I came for those who are sick and need a doctor. He would heal people with diseases. This is one of my favorites. He would show compassion to women and children who at best in that society were considered second-class citizens or even like slaves. He showed them compassion and love and tenderness and mercy. We would also notice that he was upset with the religious leaders quite a bit. 
because they were always seen to set up these laws, these roadblocks between God and man, these hoops that people had to jump through. They were exacerbating the people of God with all of these rules. And then we would notice Jesus as the way. Jesus is the road to God. The law was never intended to be the way, to be the law, to be the road. And what I want to show, share with you today, more, probably more than anything, is that Jesus came as one who was gentle and lowly in heart. So I want to do a little Galatians 4 with a little sprinkling of Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Come and you will find rest for your souls. What does it mean in the Bible? What is the heart in the Bible? The heart is the center of all we are and all we do. It is what gets us out of bed in the morning, and it's what we dream about at night. Heart, according to the scriptures, is our motivation headquarters. The heart is what animates all of our lives. And before Jesus, we were animated by sin. We were enslaved to sin. Our hearts were, like the Israelites, as hard as a rock. And then what would animate Jesus is he would come in the flesh into our sinful lives, into our sinful hearts to reveal his gentleness and to remove our sin. Glory be to God. This is what animated Jesus. This represented the deepest longing of his heart. And then he took his life and animated our life with it, the power of his resurrection. Really, really amazing. Dane Ortland says, when we today partake of that atoning work, coming to Christ for forgiveness, communing with him despite our sinfulness, we are laying hold of Christ's own deepest longing and joy. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exacerbated. He is the most understanding person in the world. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? But Jesus is also lowly. This word is often translated humble, but this Greek word refers not to humility as a virtue, but humility in the sense of destitution or being thrust downward into life circumstance. It is to mean one who is socially unimpressive. Jesus was so lowly, and this is the point. He was totally accessible to us. Gentle and lowly in heart. We are. And then if that is not enough to blow your mind, if that is not enough to put a smile on your face, he says, we are the body of Christ. He's resurrected to new life. He appears to his disciples. And then he ascends into heaven and says, you are my body. We incarnate Christ in the world. We are the only Jesus that people will see 
until he comes back to take us home and judge the living and the dead. Is that amazing? Does that, that seems like, like a mistake. That seems like bad PR to me sometimes. You're putting us in charge to represent Jesus? Yeah, yes, yes, that's the point. We incarnate Christ for the world. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. My second point, born, born under law to redeem those under law. Born under the law means Jesus was fully Jewish under all the requirements of the law. And as we've talked about earlier, we, the people were enslaved to sin. And the people going to Galatia, these men, these Jewish men saying, you have to go, you have to obey the law, you have to be circumcised. They're saying you have to go back into enslavement in your sin in order to be Christian. It's, it's a crazy idea if you really think about it. What is it about us that we want to go back into slavery? Remember the Jewish people coming out of the Exodus? And they started getting hungry. They started getting thirsty. And they're like, we want to go back to Egypt. We had some good food back then. Yes, but you were enslaved. What is it about the human heart that wants to go back to the law? The book of Galatians talks about the law in two ways, positive and negative. The negative is is to act like this big magnifying glass upon our lives and to examine nitty-gritty parts of each part of our lives and to say, guilty, 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 guilty. The positive part, according to our own scripture today, it acted like a guardian. It was a way of protecting us from, we could have done a lot worse, believe it or not, and it was a guardian until the time had fully come to make sure we were kind of kept in our place and we wouldn't go too crazy in sin. There's a negative and a positive. But the law, here it is, the law, according to Galatians, according to Paul, has no power to redeem us. Only the Son can do that. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Praise be to the Lord God. He has come, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem us from the power of the law. Jesus obeys the law perfectly, every single detail. And if that magnifying glass looked on Jesus' life, it would say, perfect, 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 perfect. And then he gives us that righteousness. Unbelievable. We can't do it. So Jesus had to show up in the flesh to do it for us. And we are justified. One of my favorite words in all the Bible, we are justified by faith. To be justified is to be declared righteous in the sight of God, fully and legally exonerated in the divine court, based entirely on what another has done in our place, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now that'll put a smile on your face. Dane Orland says, of, of course Jesus saves, but consider how your heart works. Do you not find within yourself an unceasing, low-grade impulse to strengthen his saving work through your own contribution? That's what I, that's what I see in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. You saved me. You saved me. Now let me just add just a little teeny bit. What is it in the human heart 
we, we just want to add just a little bit of our own contribution. The problem is that's, that leads to misery. What leads to joy is the righteousness of Christ, the perfect forgiveness and obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jack Miller, who was the founder of the original New Life Church, uh, Pastor Larry uh, talked about him not too long in a sermon. Jack understood the book of Galatians. In fact, it led, his, it led to deep revival in his life and so much joy in his life, he became a magnet for all kinds of people, so many people that he had to start a church, New Life Church. It was born right out of these principles. Jack understood the importance of repentance. Jack simply did not want anything to get in the way of his joy. So he would repent. He would always say, cheer up. It is way worse. You are way worse than you can possibly imagine. But cheer up. God's forgiveness is greater. His righteousness is greater. His forgiveness is greater than anything you can imagine. So cheer up. Don't be afraid to look at your sin. And don't be afraid to repent of it. There was this thing. He developed a whole training course called Sonship out of the book of Galatians. And there was this thing. It was called the cross chart. I have a picture of it here. So we, the idea is, in our Christian life, we become more and more aware of the holiness of our God, and we become more and more aware of our sin. But see how big the cross keeps getting? It was called the cross chart. We would talk about it all the time. So the idea is this. If you look at your sin, and your sin is this big in your eyes, that's how big the cross is in your life. But if your sin is this big, that's how big your cross is. And Jack's like, I want the biggest cross possible. I will be more than glad to talk about my sin and repent of my sin because I know the cross is there to forgive me. Jesus was born under the law. He was born of a woman for this very reason, to grant to me a righteousness that I could not achieve on my own. Jesus is simply not put off by our sin. He, he meets us with his love and affection as one who is gentle and lowly in spirit. The amazing thing about Jack, I knew Jack just a little bit. The amazing thing about Jack is he was always willing to take a person's criticism. Because in Jack's mind, there, it was way worse than that person was criticizing him for. So this, in his mind, here's your criticism. Oh, it's way worse. My heart is way worse than that. My sin, it's way worse than that. It's, it's like this. So he, he would often say, well, let me tell you a little bit more of what's going on in my life. He was an amazing man, and God just, just, impa- in, in, just enlightened him and, and filled him full of the joy of the Lord, full of everything that we are talking about here today. He knew his Savior. He knew that Jesus would come to him gentle and lowly in heart. When the fullness of time had come, God sent a son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we re- might receive adoption as sons. Now, notice it says sons. It doesn't say sons and daughters. The scripture, Paul's not trying to be sexist here. Think about who is the heir of the inheritance. It's the firstborn son. So what Paul is saying is, Both men and women are sons. Both men and women are heirs and entitled to the inheritance. Isn't that amazing? 
we are, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Every single one of us entitled to the inheritance because of the work of Jesus. We are children of promise. Now, to love others, to really be the body of Christ, and to show his love to others, we must really dig into our sonship. We must really dig into this truth that we belong to God the Father as his sons and his daughters. That's how we will love others and show them and demonstrate and incarnate the love of Christ for them. Going back to Diane Langberg. Diane Langberg has worked with traumatized people all over the world. And remember what I said, children learn the abstract. They learn about love by watching their parents. We demonstrate love in the flesh. The only problem is so many people have been traumatized by so many things in their lives. Now, think about trauma for a second and think about what it teaches a person, whether children or anyone else, about God. What is it, what is, what is their live flesh and blood experience teach them about God? God isn't present. God is cruel. He doesn't hear or answer us. People are expendable to him. He doesn't keep his word. He isn't trustworthy. Now, we all know those are lies, but that's what buries itself into the human heart when we've been traumatized by life's events. Diane Lamberg, in this video, she and this, is, this was extremely convicting to me. She said, I would speak to them, over, my patients, over and over again about the love of God. And she would call it the splat effect. It was like the words would hit their chest and fall onto the floor, splat. They would, my words would never penetrate them, their hearts. I could never teach them enough about the love of God. And she was on her knees. This was when she was early. She said she was in her 20s. She's on her knees pleading to the Lord. Lord, how am I supposed to teach them about the love of God if they don't listen to my words? And she said, I heard the voice of the Lord. It wasn't audible, but I, I heard the voice. And he said, you have to be love for them. He said, if you want your patience to learn patience, you need to be patient with them. If you want them to learn love and affection, then you must be love and affection. You must in flesh, you must incarnate those things for people. And it just reminded us of what we, what the task is for all of us as the body of Christ. We are to be these things. And she said, too often we seek after knowledge and we seek after words. She said, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with knowledge unless it's just bouncing off. We must become the body of Christ for people. Really, really powerful. We are the children of God, sons and daughters adopted into his family. We are the ones who walk around with Jesus in our hearts, showing people exactly what Jesus is like the demonstration of his presence on earth, the only Jesus that people will see until he comes back. This wonderful idea of the incarnation, this wonderful idea of sacramental living, this is how people will learn about Jesus. Now, just think about this in a second, for a second, in regard to the pandemic. Just think of all the trauma of the pandemic. 
confusion, isolation. Now, that's an important thing to think about in regard to the incarnation. We're beginning to see each other in the flesh now, aren't we? Not through Zoom, but in the flesh. But so many people have been isolated and under this trauma of the pandemic. So I've taken kind of all of this into my heart. Lord, what do you want me to do with it? And what I realized is, um, what I realized is, in some ways, I have failed you as a pastor during the pandemic. Because when I preach, I just kind of assume the cross chart. I assume that the people are okay hearing their sin because they understand how big the cross is. But what I quickly, quickly realize, especially, again, if we think about people in trauma, I could talk about the cross all day long. And unless I become the cross, unless I become these things of Christ for people, it doesn't mean anything to them. And it just, it really convicted me in relationship to some of my preaching as of late, because people have been talking to me about my preaching. I think I've failed you in some ways, not in every way, but in some ways. Change is hard, is it not? Change is really, really painful. And then you couple that with a pandemic, and it seems almost impossible. I, I've been reading this book. I wish I, I really wish God would have put this book in my life two years ago, but he didn't. He put it in my life right now. And the author of this book, is, it's called Ch- Leading Through Change. And he said, there's, if you look at the, the, all the people in your church, you can break them down this way. He said, 10% of people are opponents no matter what. They're just opponents to change because they like the church the way it used to be, which makes some sense. Now, I'm not talking about disagreement. I'm talking about just I'm, I'm going to oppose you every step of the way. I'm just not going to change. Then 10% are early adopters. They're like, man, I've been waiting for this change for 20 years. I am right on board. 30% are the early majority. They, they take a little bit of time, but they eventually they jump on pretty quickly. And here's the point of what I'm trying to say to you today, 50% are what they call the quiet majority. These are simply just people say, where do I fit into this change? I'm, I'm taking kind of a neutral position, and I'm just kind of watching to see what's going to happen. How will it go? I'm paying attention to it. Now, here's the challenge, especially for a preacher, especially for a pastor. That 10% opponent, they often are the loudest voice in the room. So in my mind, they become more like 50%, more like 60% of the church. And then I begin to, and here's, this is my repentance and my apology. What I realized is I was preaching to the 50% quiet majority as if they're 10% opponents. The Lord showed it to me. And people, that's what people have been talking to me about. I'm here to say I'm sorry. Because they're saying, people are saying, what did I do wrong? What, how did I make a mistake? You're, you're talking to me like I made a mistake. And I, I'm, I'm just trying to pay attention to the change that's going on. Very, very convicting. I'm here. What the Lord showed me is, he's like, you're not being gentle and lowly in heart. I get revved up when I preach. I do. And Amy 
keeps saying to me uh, as of late, you sound like you're angry. I'm like, I'm just, I'm on fire for Jesus, man. I'm passionate. You sound like you're angry. And I'm like, okay. Okay. I want to be gentle and lowly of heart. This is my challenge as one of, as one of your pastors, one of your preachers. Now, that's not, that's not the whole side of the equation. It would be simplistic to say that's all that's going on. But that's my repentance. That's my side of the equation. I'm sorry. By the grace of God, I will do better to be more gentle and lowly in heart in my sermons. We are together, the family of God. We are the one who is responsible to show Jesus Christ. Now, don't think of this individual. Of course, salvation is individual, but think of it. Most of the time, the Bible is talking to us as a collective whole. It's talking to us. In, we are meant to be in solidarity with one another in all of this, that we might really portray what it means to be Jesus in the flesh. We are a forgiven, joyful people. We do not go back to the law. That would just put us in misery. We do not try to self-justify ourselves because we're already justified by God. We cannot do better than Jesus has already done. And that's what brings us joy. And I don't know about you, but I need more of that truth. I need more of that gospel. I need to preach that gospel to my heart each and every day. And I need to preach it to you as well. We are the concrete demonstration of God's love. Now, if you didn't, haven't noticed, all so far has been all words. I don't know how it's impacting your heart. So I figured we'd do a concrete example of God the Father's love for us. Jed, I've asked Jed and his family. Jed, come on up here for just a second. This is a concrete, I think this will be a concrete demonstration of how God feels for you in his love for you. <laughs> now, just my kiddos. I think Jed said this is what they call a group hug. Everybody. A fa- a f- you got to love Judah Bear. Um, got a father's love for all of his children. Father's love for all of his children. I don't know how, when you hear these things, if they're having that kind of a splat effect on you. If they are, remember that. Remember the group hug. Remember the, the trot group hug. That's how Jesus feels about you. That's how the Father feels about you. There is simply nothing you could do to prevent that. Because he loves you. I want that to be a reflection of how I feel about you as well. If I could, I'd say group hug and we would all do it today. (laughs) That's how Pastor Larry feels about you. That's how the elders feel about you. Deacons, elders council, ministry leaders. God loves you more than you can possibly Imagine. Let that fill your heart 
to overflowing. One last and final quote. You got that last quote for me, Rosie? So let the heart of Jesus be something that is not only gentle toward you, but lovely to you. If I may put it this way, romance the heart of Jesus. All I mean is ponder him through his heart. Allow yourself to be allured. Why not build into your life unhurried quiet, where, among other disciplines, you consider the radiance of who he actually is, what animates him, what his deepest delight is? Why not give your soul room to be re-enchanted with Christ time and again? We are the body of Christ. Jesus says, go into the world and be my body, be my ambassadors, be my representatives, incarnate my love for everyone that you meet and be gentle and lowly in heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the greatness of the gospel is really more that we can take in at any one moment. But to the degree that we can take it into our hearts, we are filled with joy. Jesus, in the fullness of time, you came born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive adoption as sons. And yes, before you, we are your sons and your daughters, rightful rightful heirs to the inheritance because of what you have done for us, Jesus Christ. We simply surrender our hearts into your care this day. Soften our hearts. May we never be afraid to repent, knowing that we have a cross that is always big enough to meet us in our repentance, always bigger than our sin. Your blood covers a multitude of sins. Empower us to be the flesh and bones of Jesus, the only Jesus people will see until you come back in glory. Lord, we do give you glory. We give you thanks and praise. And we just want to say we love you. We really, really love you. Amen.